if you're having big blowout fights and then there's like love bombing happening afterward, mm. big red flag. Mm. Welcome back to Made It Out. Today I'm here with my friend Sierra Dowd. She is the founder of 98 Society, which is a social impact brand focused on empowering survivors of sexual assault. Wow, that was a mouthful. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. Thanks for having me. I'm of excited course. to be here too. We're diving into toxic relationships today. I've been in my share. I know Sierra, you have some experience too, but let's start with the basics. Tell me about where you're from. I am from Fremont, California, which is East Bay. Um, but I've lived in LA for almost 16 years, which is crazy. I moved down for college and stayed mm. and never left. So what was your, what was your childhood like? That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so my mom had me when she was, she got pregnant at 19 and had me at 20. Oh, wow. And she had me with, um, my, my biological father was a drug addict. So you can imagine things were a little rough in the beginning, but my mom's a badass and such a powerhouse and got us out of the situation as quickly as she could. Um, and ended up marrying this phenomenal man who I refer to as my father. So overall, I'd say like 80% of my childhood was really beautiful. You know, my mom's awesome and my dad is awesome, but my biological father is another situation. Sure. So when did you know that you were gay? Um, I cheerleaded in high school. Okay. And so I remember being in a locker room specifically after a big competition. So we're talking like hundreds of girls and everyone's changing. And I was just like, gay panic. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Immediate gay panic. And also just so like, oh my God, this is incredible. I want to be in here all the time. <laughs> I love it here. I Let's love keep winning so we can keep going to competitions. <laughs> Me and my boyfriends in the bleachers with my parents, you know? And I'm like, of course. Ah. Um, so I thought, but I thought I was bisexual. Okay. Because I still found men attractive too. And I had boyfriends at the time. And so I, you know, when I was raised in a family that was like, everyone's equal, you know, doesn't matter your race, your sexuality, your socioeconomic status. So for me, I wasn't, it wasn't like a shame or fear thing. It was more of just like, I think I'm, I think I'm bisexual. Mm -hmm. And then at 18, when I went to college, barely 18, I immediately, so I joined a sorority. Right back. You're putting yourself right back with all those girls. Kappa, Kappa Gamma. I know. I'm like, Ooh, how can I be around a lot of women? <laughs> sorority. No. Um, I joined Kappa Kappa Gamma and I started dating a fraternity guy right off the bat. Cause it was just comfortable in what I knew. And he had a very good friend who was a girl in another sorority and like okay. my competing sorority. Okay. And then what happens? I fell in love. <laughs> You fall in love with this girl. <laughs> yeah. We started dating and she lived in the Alpha Phi house. So I would have to sneak. I would sometimes like wait till the house mom left. Oh my god! <laughs> and gosh. I would run over from the dorms and I'd sneak into the house. <laughs> when did you feel like a shift in the relationship to where it was not good or healthy? I don't even know that I'd be able to recognize that at that point in my life. Mm. I just remember sitting outside hysterically crying because I was really upset about a particular incident and thinking like, this doesn't feel good. And then recognizing that that was happening more often than not, but still having this like deep, deep passion and love for this person that superseded anything else. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of really big fights and a lot of like out of control emotions. And I think a large part of that was both of us dealing with our sexuality on a bigger level. It's one thing when you're young, young to 
think those things and maybe even have a few experiences. But when you get into a relationship with another woman, it's really like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, you know, I'm gay (laughs) and that can be a really hard pill to swallow for some people. For me, it wasn't that it was unlocking a lot of childhood trauma that I did not realize I had inklings about, but I didn't really know had happened until certain triggers started happening. Um, I ended up going to therapy and that helped a lot, but yeah, I mean, we, we were in a tumultuous, you know, situation. It was, I would consider it toxic at points. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an entirely toxic relationship, but us being so young and dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of shit definitely led to some toxicity. I feel like in those first relationships, when you are unlocking a lot of this stuff, it's toxic both ways. Yes. Because I feel in my first relationship, like there was a lot that my ex-girlfriend did that was super toxic toward me, but in, I was super reactive to it. And then I was toxic right back. Cause you're just like kind of swirling. You are. And you're dealing with so much. Like you're trying to figure out, you're learning so much about yourself. I think it just in general, when you come to terms with your sexuality specifically, you're just learning a lot about yourself in that moment. Right. And then you're also looking introspectively and thinking about times in your life. Like you asked in the beginning, like, did, when did you know you were gay? You know, it's, you think back to those times and then you think back to, um, for me, I was really thinking back to my whole childhood and going through a lot of things and thinking, God, like this makes a lot of sense. Something really fucked up happened when I was young and I need to, I think I need to start addressing this. What were you uncovering in therapy? Um, what I uncovered in therapy was that I was sexually abused as a child. My, I want to be like super clear about this too. My mom again is a rock star, but there was a period of time where my dad still had visitation and I spent quite a bit of time, um, back and forth. And it was in those times, um, that things were happening. And so, yeah, that was like the biggest thing that I came to, um, in therapy specifically. Was it just trauma blocked that you didn't remember it. And then all of a sudden it. Yeah, that's pretty common. Um, I hear from childhood sexual abuse survivors specifically, it's really, you know, you're just, so it's, it's your brain's way of protecting you. Wow. Right. And especially when it happens so young, it's really hard to like, think back, think back to when you're four or five, six years old, like how much you remember, you remember tidbits of things. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like a puzzle, but I didn't have all of the pieces. And I always thought like I always in the back of my head, but I just didn't want to face it head on. And I was really scared. You know, there's a lot of shame and guilt and, and sadness around that. So I think I avoided it for a really long time, even though I knew, I knew something had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember just having these really big reactions to things during some of our big fights, you know, and arguments in college. Um, And I remember things like belt buckles being undone and things like that, that just were causing me a lot of really uncomfortable feelings and bringing back certain memories. And so I initially started in talk therapy and we quickly realized like, okay, you need to get into cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. So for me, what that looked like was the people that I'm supposed to be able to trust that are supposed to protect me don't and cannot. Mm-hmm. And so I went my whole life thinking no one in this world can really protect me, even though my mom is amazing and my stepdad's amazing and they give me so much love and they're so there for me, they can't even protect me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and then also it's like, 
dealing with the feelings of your innocence being ripped away. And that's heavy. Like it's frustrating. There's still times when I look at young kids and I just like get really upset, you know, cause I'm like, I should have been able to have that. I should have not had my innocence stripped away so young. Absolutely. You know, you're never the same person after that. Your world is never going to look the same that it did before. So for me, it's about finding a new world in post-traumatic growth, like Mm -hmm. having post-traumatic growth and realizing that, you know, you can still be who you want to be and you can still look at the world in a really positive, beautiful way. Um, recognizing that those things, like those things can mutually coexist, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? How did you get to that point? Like what happened to get you from feeling those feelings to now? Yeah. It took years. Honestly, I would say up until the last two to three years, I was still really very much in the thick of, of healing and processing everything. Having a support system, having close friends, you know, and people that you can other survivors that you can really talk to is huge. That was huge for me. It's one thing sitting in a room and unpacking everything with, you know, a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It's another thing. It takes, again, it takes so much time, right? And there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people have been in therapy in general. You're Mm -hmm. not going to walk out after one therapy session and feel better. (laughs) Yes. I'm scared. It's it's going to take several, um, sometimes years. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was consistent therapy, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy, Um, and kind of, again, reshaping my beliefs, like some of the, you know, bad assumptions or bad beliefs that I picked up, uh, which also include shame and guilt. And like, if I had just done this differently, things could have been different, but you can't Mm -hmm. think that when you're a child, Mm -hmm. how can, you know, so coming to terms with that stuff, I think the biggest healing moment for me was starting 98 society. It was around the time of the me too movement. I was like, wow, this is so cool. Seeing so many women come forward and share their stories, you know, and not have that shame. And it was really powerful because it's like, I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's like anything. And I think that's why storytelling is so important. It's hard. It's hard to do. Like, it's not easy even sitting here now. You know, I'm 35 years old and sitting here talking about it is really difficult still. But I know that if I can talk about it, then maybe someone else can have the courage to speak to someone that they love about it, you know, and then seek the help that they need for it. Absolutely. It's so beautiful that you can do that. And I admire you for that because I do think it's very helpful for people who do still feel that way. Yeah. People carry that stuff for years, you know, and I don't know, like, I'm a fix. I like to fix things. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Part of the reason why I ended up in a lot of toxic relationships, because I'm like, I can fix people. I can people. fix you. <laughs> I can fix you. Right. Oh, you're going to be a fun project, right? Oh God. If you ever think those things just run, yeah. but <laughs> this isn't it. <laughs> this is not it. If that's what you think. Um, but I think that's why I just, I like resolution. I don't like sitting in those feelings, mm. but that's what made that so hard simultaneously. So that gave me the motivation to go with the support of, you know, my close friends, but it also really unlocked a lot of stuff that took years and years and years to process. Um, and I was, I wanted things to just be done. I remember sitting in a therapy session at one point and being like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Like I'm exhausted, you know, but knowing like, if I can just push through, I can have, you know, that comfort and that, that, as close to healing as possible feeling as I, as I desired. Do you feel like that's where you're at now? I do. I do. And I think like finding a safe, healthy relationship was a huge part of that for me. 
Like I tell Coco all the time, I'm like, you healed a part of my inner child that I never, ever thought could be healed. Oh, like I get emotional beautiful. saying that yeah. because I really, I really thought that I was going to end up in something that just wasn't, I don't know. I just, I never thought that another person would be able to heal that. Mm. And she's really given that safety and space to, to help. So, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> Do you find that it still shows up in ways in your relationship? Yeah, I think um, no matter how self-aware you are and how many coping, you know, tools you have, not, not, not just coping skills, but tools you have to pull from, you're still human, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's that part of me that can still be really, really defensive and it's hard for me to hear things because I just like will immediately like guard up, you know, nothing can penetrate that. Um, but on the flip side of that, I also think there's a side of me that can be so much more open and vulnerable because of that experience. Mm. I think spending years and years and years working through and talking over and over and over about something so traumatic and so difficult and all of the things that came from that or surround that, I should say you just become in general, a more open person, mm -hmm. you know, for me, at least it made me a lot more open. I was like, okay, like everyone goes through shit in life, right? Everyone has a story. Everyone has something they've gone through. And so it just allows me to connect to people a lot easier. I never talk. I don't talk about it <laughs> often. It's not like I go straight there. Like sure. I meet someone, I'm like, Hey, by the way, sure. But, um, it just, I don't know. I feel like I connect with people on a deeper level because like it just surface level stuff irks me, you know? Yeah. I think yeah, any life experience that's just like hard and really tough allows you to yeah. have a lot of empathy for people. Exactly. And so that makes sense. So obviously an experience like that affects you and your development and possibly your choice of partners. Mm, greatly. Has, can you tell me about that? Again, I really chose partners that probably weren't the best for me. People that I thought I could fix or help, usually people that were in a really tough time in their life mm. or were dealing with something really difficult, whether that's, you know, like mental diagnosis, a physical diagnosis, um, or they're starting their own, you know, therapy around intense trauma. I, I just, I picked bad partners. You know, I had a lot of abandonment issues. I had a lot of, um, <sighs> just trauma and shit. And like I said, it took so many years to work through that. I had years of bad partners. Yeah. And sometimes those relationships were toxic, not just because of them, but again, because of me and what I was dealing with and, or not dealing with at that time, sure. you know, cause I had moments too, where I took a break from therapy. Cause I'm like, this is too much. I want to just like escape and live and be a normal person for a second. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, again, I kept finding myself in these situations where I'm like, this does not feel yep. <laughs> like a very healthy dynamic. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, not for some reason, I know what it was. I thrive in chaos. Mm. I do very well in chaos and that serves me really well in my professional life and not very well in my personal <laughs> life. <laughs> in my personal life, it's not great. It sure. hasn't been great. That is something that I've explored in therapy too. I think when you kind of grow up in chaos, then it's like, oh, this is what love is or this is, this is normal. Right. And then you seek that out in a partner. So I've also had my fair share of... <laughs> toxic relationships with men and with women. Yeah. 
And I think I, I had, a, I had it with men. And then when I switched to dating women, it was like, Oh, sh- surely this is the solve. Yeah. This is going to be the, res- yeah, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be perfect from now Surprise. on. <laughs> and that is not true. I found Still a partner. Person. Yeah. I found a partner that was very similar, um, mm. kind of to the vibes that I was dating with men just in interesting woman form. Right. Um, but I don't know, what are some of the, the, maybe patterns or cycles that you were in with partners? So I think some patterns in toxic relationships are not, it's like how you're feeling and also how your partner's communicating and responding to how you're feeling. Right. So things like bickering and fighting often, like often bickering's one thing, but when you're having big, serious blowout fights often, that is not normal. Mm. That's not healthy. There's going to be blowout fights. Like, don't get me wrong. Coco and I have blowout fights, you know, it happens, but they shouldn't be consistent for one. For two, if you don't feel safe communicating something to your partner, that is a huge sign. If you want to talk to your partner about something maybe they're doing that's upsetting you or bothering you, and you don't feel safe doing that, that's something to look at a little bit deeper. Why don't you feel safe doing that? Is it because when you bring it up, you know, they're going to attack you for it and make you feel bad about it because that kind of constant guilt tripping and shaming and not uplifting you, making you feel really bad about things, not being supportive about things that you want to do, um, making it feel very one-sided. Those are all things to look out for, Mm -hmm. right? But not feeling safe talking to your partner and also like maybe not feeling safe if you're in a blowout fight, like are you scared they might physically, you know, touch you? That's a problem. Mm. Um, and to be clear again, I've been the toxic one <laughs> in yeah. many relationships, you know, I mean, dually, <laughs> like it was not one-sided. Um, so I want to be really clear about that. Yeah. But there are a lot of times where partners will come to me and be like, I like really want to work on this, or I think this is a, like this thing that you do bothers me. And I'd be like, ah! <laughs> like, what do you mean? You yeah. know what I mean? And get super defensive and not be able to hear them. Yeah. Um, you know, but that takes time. You've got to, I think that oftentimes most of our toxic behaviors come from, especially being gay, could be from fear. It could be from being like shameful about your sexuality. And on the other side, just not dealing with your shit, you know, Mm -hmm. like not dealing with whatever trauma you may have, or just maybe in general, you had a great childhood and you grow up and maybe some things that you do aren't the healthiest and the safest. And if people around you are telling you that, then listen to them. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely, that's still something that I struggle with. I can become very defensive and reactive. Yeah. And I, that's something, what you said about Courtney, I say about Matilde, like she is, it's almost like a reparenting. Yes. It's so helpful to have like a stable, yeah. really just like calm partner because even having, like I did, I had a great childhood and, but I don't think I was taught how to um, handle criticism or argue or like in a correct way, you know? And so there's still parts of me that can come out that are not, um, the best, but seeing that modeled in a partner, I'm like, Oh, this is how we can do things and it can be okay. And it doesn't have to be, you know, this, this big thing. Yeah. Or this way all the time. Yeah. I think that pattern to go back to what I was saying about like the arguing, right? Like the big blowout fights. If you're having big blowout fights and then there's like love bombing happening afterward, mm. big red flag. Ooh, like what? Like, you know, let's say someone does something really messed up and it upsets you and you get, you're out drinking, you get in this huge drunk fight. And the next day that person's like, oh my God, I'm the worst person in the world. Like, let me take you somewhere. Let me buy you something. Let me do something to make up for it. Like mm. be really, really good, good, good. And then boom, something happens again. And it's just like that cycle, yeah. right? 
that constant cycle. That kind of sounds like my last <laughs> relationship. <laughs> But yeah. then you add toxic, you add toxic and toxic. And then That's it's like, oh I mean. God, yeah. now we're in a swirly fucking yeah, nightmare. Exactly. When you have a partner that models that good behavior, <laughs> you're like, oh shit, I'm the problem. Yeah, but yeah. Then when you're in the toxic relationship, you're like, you're the problem. Exactly. <laughs> it's so much easier to look at the other person. So much easier. And that's also probably why like, for me, I dated such nightmares because I'm like, okay, you're such a nightmare. You're going to cover up my nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're going to make me look better or yes. feel better. Absolutely. I look great right now because wow, you... <laughs> I'm so sorry to every ex that I, <laughs> I mean, that same. I was with when I wasn't healed. <laughs> sorry, but also that's not my fault. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, we all got our own shit, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, now being in with someone who's way more healed. Yes. I'm like, oh shit. Hell now yeah. I have to look at myself. I but gotta go talk to Andrea about this. Yeah. I think, I think that's why it's important, like dating a lot too, when you're younger, mm-hmm. because sometimes you're just not a good fit with someone, right? Yeah. There's like no toxicity. You're just not a good fit. But then oftentimes it's like, yeah, there's two people. It's like two negatives. Don't make a positive. Right. Right. Um, so I think getting that experience of dating a lot really helps you to navigate model, like understanding what is healthy and what isn't healthy yeah. in a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Cause it wasn't until really like this relationship that I'm in now that I was like, oh my God, this is, this is what a relationship is supposed to be like. Yeah. Everything else I've been in has been, you know, either not the best fit or, um, has brought out really toxic behaviors in me Mm. and not to put blame, but I think there's also situations where when people know you so well, they know how to trigger you really well. Oh my God. Absolutely. Right. And I've, I've been there, I've done it. I've been on the receiving end and it's just awful around the board. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being in a space again, in a safe, you know, healthy relationship, sometimes I still have times where I'm just like, that's normal. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, like you're, making me feel better in a situation where I'm really stressed out or you're super supportive in a really tough time in my career or, you know, it could be something as simple as like, Oh baby, I see you're really tired. Let me do dinner. Let me make dinner. Yeah. Let me take care of everything else tonight. You don't have the spoons. I'll make dinner. I'll clean. Like you sit on the couch and relax. I'm like, what? This is, I like this. How do you think, or what do you think got you to a point where you could meet someone that's healthy and secure? Yes. I think I just reached a point where I'm like, obviously I keep ending up in the same situations and I'm the underlying factor here. Mm -hmm. It's really the people that I'm choosing and, you know, the way that I'm choosing to navigate these situations. So I just kind of had had enough And I had succumbed to the fact that I was going to be alone until I was like 50. I'm like, this is it. I'm not going to date anymore. I just need to breathe. I want to take a break, like Mm -hmm. having fun, a whole different ball game, but a serious relationship. I'm like, I need a break. Yeah. And I need to really think about like why I keep ending up in these situations. And I remember sitting down and literally making a list of what I will not ever tolerate again. Wow. And being like, this is it. Like, buck stops here. We're done. Like pull it together. You're not getting any younger. And I remember thinking very much because I'm getting older and I want kids, I want a family thinking, who do I want being a parent to my children? Mm. Who does that person look like? And that really changed the game for me too, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it really was like, you know, sitting down and being like, I have to figure out why, like I knew why it wasn't why I knew the why Yeah, I needed to just stop. (laughs) 
know? enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yes. Um, stop being a golden retriever with everyone you're dating, you yeah. know, and stop assuming that everything's great and everything's perfect and that you can move through everything because you can't. Yeah. Some things you just can't and that's okay. It hurts. It sucks, but that's life. Yeah. You know? Um, and of course, after I made that list, <laughs> it was like, oh God, three months later, and I was at a party and Emma actually introduced me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you are so hot. We're going home together tonight. Like in my head, that's all I'm thinking, right? Yeah, it's just like fun. Yeah, just fun. Um, but the next morning we were sitting on my couch and we were talking for like an hour and a half, two hours. And I just remember thinking, this is literally the person I wrote down. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> it's been three months. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? Um, but that's kind of how it's happened. You like declared it. Yeah. Enough is enough. You yeah. kind of made the change right there. I did. Yeah. I think I just like put it out in the universe. And I also was very, very adamant about not letting myself get in that situation again. Yes. You know, <laughs> I feel like my situation was very similar. I was in this relationship with this girl. She would say things like, if you're, if, oh, if you just got your skin done, you'd be a 10 or like, no, it was just very, or, and I was like very new to be red flag. A, I wish I had a red flag right now. Totally. But also <laughs> I was so new to being gay. This was my first girlfriend. It was the first date I ever went so on with a girl. No, I am so malleable at this point. Like I am back first time ever. So nervous, have no idea what the lesbian community is like. She's yeah. also telling me things like, there's not, I'm the best you're ever going to find. Like the lesbian dating pool is so small. Totally. <laughs> All things that it's like, Mal, hello. Yeah. But when you are in it, you don't realize. You literally don't. I know. Your head is just, and I consider myself a pretty discerning person. Same, same. I'm like, I have a good judge of character. Like I can trust my, my judgment. Obviously not. Yes. Uh, that's a really good thing that you pointed out. Actually, I think asking a friend, a close friend that you trust and respect what their opinion mm. is on your relationship and if they think that things seem normal and healthy is actually a really good place to start because it's so hard to see when you're in it but you know in your heart of hearts you're like something doesn't feel 100% in this yeah like that felt icky yeah yeah totally and yeah when you feel that if you feel that like talk to a friend and be like hey what do you think because when you're in that state of fight or flight you're making decisions rooted in fear and stress mm -hmm. and chaos. Mm -hmm. So how are you supposed to navigate a situation when you're in a state of fight or flight? And I think that's really what perpetuates the cycle of toxicity and staying in that. It's like, how do you can't get out? How do you get out when you're all the decisions that you're making are in a state out of, of that? Thing. Are, yeah. Especially when you're attracted to someone like you used to your cir circumstance, you were just coming out, you didn't know anything yet or any better yet. But again, that's why dating around and getting that experience is so important because yeah. you learn so much as you are with different people. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then after that, I was like, I am going to be alone. I yeah. Same thing. It was like, no more. Enough is enough. And I was alone for like a year and just kind of dated around. And it's amazing. Until I met Matilde. I think declaring for yourself. It's a big piece. Is a huge part of it. Like yep. I deserve more. Yeah. I am better than yeah. to be treated like and this. And you have to, like, you have to love yourself to be able to do that. And mm -hmm. you have to, more importantly, respect yourself to be yeah. able to do that. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Coming into yourself and turning inward. Yeah. And saying like, how did I contribute to this? What am I doing that's causing me to be in these situations? And what can I do better? Like, I remember just thinking like, I hated the way I was in my last relationship. 
And there was a lot of judgment, even from people around us around that, because I, I feel like I didn't have, like, it wasn't the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot, a lot of that is me, you know, I have control over who I am and how I manage situations and you need to walk away when you need to walk away. That's a great piece of life advice. If you don't like who you are in your relationship, in your relationship, then it's not the one. It probably is not the one. Yeah. Because it is like a mirror in relationships too. You're reflecting off of one another. Yeah. So if you're not happy with who you are in that relationship, that's a huge sign yeah. that you should probably think about breaking up. Mm-hmm. When I got out of that relationship, it was a lot of like, that's what was so hard because I was, I was looking at myself like, but I was so bad. Right. So then it was like, but was it me right. that was the, and I think the whole point is doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like we want to blame the other person so much because it's easier. Yeah. It's a, it's a way out. It's so much easier. Like we were saying earlier to be like, it's all your fault. This is all your fault. <laughs> That's on you, girl. But like when you choose to stay in it, that is your choice. Yeah. And when you choose to continue letting certain things perpetuate and enabling certain things and just doing, you know, behaving the way that you are, that is your choice. And like, if there's one thing I have learned in life, it's that the only thing we have control over is how we react to certain situations. Situations. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like you can't control how the things are going to play out in life, but how you react is a huge, huge testament to your character and, you know, your level of self-awareness and, and really growth. All right. So where are you now? Oh, the tides have turned, um, happily engaged. <laughs> Show the camera the ring. <laughs> Very happily engaged to an incredible woman. I've mentioned her name many times throughout this podcast, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Courtney and I have been together for two and a half years now and we're getting ready to plan our wedding, which is, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. Yeah, that's wild. I never in a million years thought this would be my reality after some of the situations I was in. So it's great. Um, I also started 98 society a few years ago. So I sell apparel and I donate 10% of proceeds to Darkness to Light, which is an incredible organization that trains adults on what signs to look out for, for childhood sexual abuse. And on top of that, I just, you know, I do consulting, marketing consulting, have my little consulting business and um, just living life happily. You know, I still have my moments. I still, things will never, you know, be perfect and that's okay. But I think that's what makes life fun. Yeah. How beautiful to come through all of that and just have like, a great life. I feel like this is a little bit of my reward, yeah, <laughs> you know, for like working so hard. I'm of like, course it is. Okay. I've landed in a healthy relationship and like, this is a woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. That's going to be a mother to my children, our children. And it's, I look at her and I'm just like, I watch her do things sometimes. And I'm like, you're going to be such a good mom and Aww. you're just such a good partner, you know? And so. you did that. You got yourself to the point yeah. where you were healthy enough to be in that relationship. Yeah. And yeah. that's amazing. And she did a lot of work on herself too. Like over the years, you know, it really does take two people that can realize like I have some stuff to work through. Yeah. And it doesn't always mean like some crazy thing happened to you as a kid or in your adult. It could just could mean like, you know, life, like, yeah. Like maybe you became really hard and you don't let people in like work on that. Yeah, absolutely. What advice do you have for someone who's struggling in a toxic relationship? Confide in someone. Step one, like confide in someone and also start like being real with yourself. Yeah. You know, again, I think removing yourself from the situation, even for a few days is really helpful. Like going to, if you're, you know, have a safe space with your family or your parents, like go to your parents' house, go to a friend's house for a few days try to put yourself outside of it, you know, and think about what, 
what caused, like, where are you now? What, how does it feel? Is it something you want to keep trying in? Is it not like, if it's seriously toxic, get out yeah. <laughs> like ASAP. But if it's kind of borderline, you know, and you really love the person, try couples therapy, try, there's things you can try, you know, there's different variations of toxic, I think. And that's something important to remember as well. Mm-hmm. I am not a therapist, by the way. I feel like I need to say that. Yeah, disclaimer. This is just- <laughs> Disclaimer. This is all anecdotal. Yeah. I am an armchair therapist right now. <laughs> I'm not a licensed professional. Um, but yeah, if it's, if it's physically toxic, you need to get out right away. Yeah. Um, like ASAP. And there are a lot of incredible organizations. Like if you are not able to financially rely on friends, rely on family, do what you need to, to get out. If you don't feel safe having a conversation with your partner about it, you need to get out. Yeah. You know, but if you do, then start there. I love it. All right. So we get a lot of submissions for advice. Okay. Do you have any advice on supporting my girlfriend whose family is not supportive of our our relationship? Oof, that is heavy. And I feel like so many people deal with that. I really feel like supporting your partner and getting individual therapy, helping them to find community outside of you. Because I think what happens like when you have a partner whose family doesn't support them, there's this isolating feeling for them, Mm. right? And while they might find comfort in that you're like, maybe her, you know, this girl's family is really supportive and her partner finds comfort in that. That's awesome. That's never going to fill, fill the gap of missing her family. Right. Um, and so I think therapy is a really wonderful resource and not just solo talk therapy, but couples therapy Mm. because they need to learn as a couple how to best support one another. Because just because this other girl has a family that doesn't support her, doesn't mean that girlfriend isn't dealing with stuff because of that too. right? Right. It's like a mutual thing. So I would absolutely suggest seeking out couples therapy just to get tools Yeah, because that can be heavy and whatever, I don't know the circumstances around it, you know, obviously there's specific circumstances um, that could be again at varying degrees. Like, is their relationship completely severed? That's going to bring up a lot of stuff for that partner. Right. Um, But you cannot be that partner's family. You're never going to fill that gap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that and finding resources to support her as best as possible, like therapy and like a really strong community is going to be integral. Yeah. If therapy isn't accessible, like just really encouraging. Pisses me off so much how inaccessible therapy is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just really finding that supportive community. In fact, actually the LGBTQ center, I believe offers really affordable, if not free therapy. Oh, wow. So so a resource to look at, um, you know, if it's not accessible. Great. All right. You're familiar with our game. I am. You haul, you ghost. Mm -hmm. Perfect in every way, except for maybe this one thing. Or maybe you love it. This is one of my favorite games. Okay. This one is interesting. We, we asked for submissions this time and we got some really good ones. Okay. Has a matching tattoo with an X. You ghost. I think I'm on that train too. I just like, maybe I'm thinking about it too deep, but if they, if they were willing to get a matching tattoo with someone that they were not married to or engaged to, to me, that's a little bit of a red flag. It's like, mm. but it also depends on the context. Like what if they're together for 10 years and they got matching tattoos and then it just didn't work out. I, oh, I don't think I, I know. And so... also I'm like trying to get Matilda to get a matching tattoo with me right now. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm kind of like, actually, wait, I might be the red flag. Because... Oh, I mean, that's why I said it depends on the context of the situation. It's, I don't know. I want to say you ghost because of the person I'm thinking of that would do it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I really like you. So <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, the 
healthy side of me is like, okay, maybe I could get over it. But the toxic side of me is like, we're having sex and I'm seeing your matching tattoo with your ex and I'm right. few. I'm right. fuming. fuming. Yeah. <laughs> like we're in an argument and I think I'd bring it up every time kind of a thing. <laughs> I'd be like, you're the one that got a matching tattoo with your ex. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> This one, I'm not so sure about. I feel like it's I jumped tough. to you ghost, but I'm like, mm. that's how I feel. Yeah. My initial like reaction is you ghost, but then I'm like, I don't know. What's your gut? You ghost. Okay. You ghost. All right. Just we're going, we're going, like, we're sticking with it. Yeah. The Taurus and Puerto Rican in me would be like, Ugh. <laughs> I can't look at that. I can't look at that every day. Like you have to get it touched laser. We're getting, we're getting <laughs> <Yes>. laser removal. <laughs> <laughs> we can go together. Okay. She's an executive in an MLM. <clears throat> you ghost immediately. Thank you. Immediately ghost. Oof. This is giving cult. This is giving cult. This is giving, um, needs to have power and control. This is giving Delulu, mm-hmm. like major Delulu. <laughs> if you think, <laughs> but also just like fucked up, you know, because if you're at the top, you're screwing everyone else beneath you. And I you're mean, actively bringing people into that, knowing that they're not going to be as successful as you are. So you're really just building on other people's dreams that are never going to come true. And that's really shitty. Like, I think on some level, they actually believe that's a delusion. Yeah. That's so a delusion. <laughs> they're like, no, no, no. You can actually be this. Cause I made it, exactly. but it's like, look around how many other people are next, standing next to you that started with you. Which it's like, good for you that you powered. To the yeah. Top, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, obviously you're a really good salesperson, but like, you're why really not good take manipulator? That- <laughs> that's a little terrifying. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. And also like thinking about bringing them to like an event or something. And then all of a sudden all they they're in the corner. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like take me back to Airbnb. You- okay. Give me MTV cribs. I'm not trying to have you sell your f- weird product to everyone. I know <laughs> your diet pills or your, no, your thank you. Yeah. And usually it's not stuff that's actually good for you. So. Okay. I will admit I was in an MLM one time, okay. <laughs> but it was when I was a kid. Were you selling knives? <laughs> oh my God. No, it wasn't Cutco. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because I had a boyfriend that sold Cutco. Okay. What was it? I'm so curious. I was selling skincare. Okay. It was called secret S E A CRET. As a marketer, that's like my biggest pet peeve. Oh really? Like selling something not the way it should be. (laughs) Okay. Well I, I I got it. I was like, Oh my God, I love this. And it was minerals from the dead sea put into this soap. Mm-hmm. And I loved the soap. I was selling the soap. I was getting all my friends to sell the soap. Honestly, I was good at it. You were the executive. I could have been this, executive. Did you submit this? <laughs> <laughs> this is your submission. <laughs> okay. Well, moving right along. She regularly leaves you voicemails. Voicemails? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyone that knows me knows I love voice notes. So that would be a U-Haul for me. I think it's kind of cute. I think it's really endearing. Yeah. I think it's like a lost love language but how long do you have to be dating for the voicemail to be cute like what if it's like after the first date and then it's like a five minute voice you get like a really long voicemail oh god i'd be i'd be like i gotta go (laughs) yeah sorry i'm just can't date right now context matters context matters that's why these games are so hard for me because i'm like it's all about context but i mean off top yeah i would ghost probably Maybe like if it was the first date, but if it was like a few three dates, dates in, in, yeah. I mean, we're lesbians, so if it were like the second date yeah, after, okay. after the two weeks that we spent together, I'd be like, oh, that's so sweet. Or depending on how long the first date was. Exactly. If your first date is a three day date or even overnight, it's like, you've leave known me a voicemail. Me long leave me yeah, a voicemail. We're married now. Leave me a voicemail. Okay. And if you don't, I'm going to be upset about it. Exactly. Now I'm expecting the voicemail. Yeah. 
<laughs> Babe, you better leave me a voicemail the next time you call me. <laughs> all right, you all. You all voicemails. You all voicemails. <laughs> You've been so great. Thanks. This has been amazing. Thank you. We've been drinking non-alcoholic wine, yes. which is amazing. Um, Sierra's doing dry January. <sighs> I'm almost I'm halfway there. <laughs> it's felt like a year. I'm halfway there. <laughs> So this is what we've been drinking. Do you have any last words, final thoughts? Oh, God. Good luck. (laughs) Godspeed. Godspeed. Thank you so much for having me. Love you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find today's guest at Sierra Dowd, our show at Made It Out Podcast, and me at Mal Glowinky. Made It Out is produced and edited by Matilde Jordan and worked on solely by lesbians. As always, help us spread the gay agenda by writing an Apple review, rating us on Spotify, and sharing with everyone you've ever met. The resources mentioned in today's episode will be added to today's show notes. Woman on woman, no longer a sinful crime. Suck it, homophobes. (laughs) Suck it. Suck it.